0: Welcome to Terrifying and Twisted. Do you want a brew?
1: sixteen. Welcome to Terrifying and Twisted. I'm Phil.
0: And I'm Carla.
1: So we hope you've had a good two weeks.
0: Weather's been lovely, apart from today.
1: Apart from today, the weather's absolutely fucking shit. Uh, it's Saturday, third of July. We're recording this a few hours before England game against Ukraine.
0: Looking forward to it.
1: Football's coming home.
0: <laughs> well, we can be a little bit optimistic, can't we? Yeah. We've enjoyed it.
1: So for people that are listening in Germany, sorry not sorry.
0: <laughs> we do have a few listens in Germany apparently, so never mind.
1: Um, we've just been up to as usual shit. We'll run through what we've been watching on telly because I think a lot of people like that.
0: Yeah, we always get a few people asking um, about stuff that we've recommended or spoke about at the beginning of podcast in terms of programmes.
1: So on my list this week I've got a film called Run, off Netflix. If you know about the Gypsy Blanchard story, it's kind of like that.
0: Pretty similar, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the Nelson Syndrome by Proxy. Yeah. If you don't know it, look it up, give it a watch, it's alright, it's a good watch. Yeah. Also, we watched Monster Preacher on Sky Crime. That is about Gary Nick. Yeah. Carla did a case on him on episode 9 i did but when we watched the documentary carla said that there's a lot of information that she didn't know and also you get to hear from two of the victims of gary Heidnick. so check it out that's good
0: yeah there was so much more in there wasn't there i even said in fact at point that i knew the story sounded familiar and it weren't until penny dropped that i'd actually done that case but there's just so much more information in that new documentary
1: so check that out uh, we've watched Clarkson's Farm
0: or oh, if anybody hasn't yet give it a go please jump onto Prime and give it a watch We, me and Phil are both not fans of Jeremy Clarkson are we? No. Um, we we've never been into like your, your top gear and stuff like that And I kind of think he comes across as a bit of a prick sometimes but put that to the side and give it a whirl because yeah. it is really good
1: Apparently it's broke records and already signed for season two. Yeah,
0: so. yeah. I'm, I was were, I were really gutted when it had, when we'd reached end of it, so it's definitely worth a watch.
1: Jump on it. Um, lastly, we are three quarters of way through the Ghislaine Maxwell, the woman behind Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein. I think that's Sky Documentaries.
0: For anybody that listens that doesn't know about the Epstein... I'm pretty sure, if, unless you live under a rock, I'm pretty sure everybody knows about Jeffrey Epstein. But yeah, that the two episodes we've watched have been really interesting. Yeah. Um, luckily, she's not she's not dead yet.
1: She's a cunt as well.
0: hundred percent. Yeah. But like I was saying, you asked me my opinion, and I actually don't think she's going to take anybody down with her. I don't think she'll ever reveal the truth.
1: We'll never fucking know. No.
0: It's too big, it's too messy, and it's too fucking tangled with some very powerful people. So, yeah, that's been a good watch, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. Out from you?
0: Um, No, not really. I think you've covered everything that I was going to cover, so...
1: Crack on with your case, then.
0: So, my case this week is about a gentleman called... Well, it's about two gentlemen, and they are Leonard Lake and Charles Ng.
1: I always feel really weird calling them gentlemen, especially if they're serial killers, because you're like, you're not a fucking gentleman. I hear you're a piece of shit.
0: Yeah, you're far from a fucking gentleman. So, I'll start with Charles. Charles Ng was born on the 24th of December in 1960 in British Hong Kong. Now, as a kid, he was very harshly criticised and disciplined by his dad. Charles wore a bit of a dickhead, to be fair, he hated at school didn't care about much and it proper pissed his dad off um now his dad was a very wealthy executive so i think he expected more from charles and he just weren't getting it charles were really really into his martial arts and apparently were quite good at it and his dad hated the, the idea of him doing that as a career like i said i think you ought to sort of follow him to follow in his footsteps As a teenager, Charles was described as a troubled loner. He was kicked out of a few schools and he was also arrested at age of 15. That's when his dad decided to send him off to boarding school. He was just sick of his shitty behaviour. It weren't long before he got himself kicked out of there um, for stealing and he went back home. Now, you'll figure out through this case that Charles loves to steal. Random things.
1: A tea leaf
0: yes very much so so he is back with his mum and dad he eventually leaves high school and then he decides to move to america on a student visa and he enrolls in college but he only lasted a term and then he dropped out now during that term he makes friends with a man called leonard lake and it weren't long after they became friends that charles was involved in a hit and run so to avoid being prosecuted He signed up to the Marines. Right. Okay. He lasted a year before he then were arrested by military police for theft of automatic weapons. Now, after getting arrested, he actually managed to escape custody and he made his way back to Northern California where he made up... How the fuck did he escape custody? He ran. Right. He ran. There's no big story behind it. There's no amazing plan.
1: No amazing escape.
0: No, he, he just ran.
1: I it, just kept running and running.
0: <laughs> well, he managed to fucking escape. Um, now this is where he then was reunited with Mr. Lake. They got a little camper van, and they just they lived together, travelled a bit. In 1982, the police raided that camper and they seized a large stash of explosives. And stolen weapons. So, both men were arrested. Leonard actually got out on a $6,000 bond. But Charles, on the other hand, he was returned to the military custody. Where he'd escaped. He then pled guilty to theft. So, I'll now take you to Leonard. Leonard Thomas Lake was born on the 29th of October, 1945, in San Francisco. When he was six, his parents divorced him and his siblings then went to live with their grandma she basically brought him up Leonard were apparently a very very smart child very intelligent but he had this really strange obsession with x-rated pictures that then progressed and it turned into him taking inappropriate pictures of his sisters and his grandma was aware of this but she actually encouraged it He then would repeatedly blackmail them into performing sex acts on him And again, Grandma did fuck all to stop it
1: Fuck's sake, Grandma
0: (laughs) Now to make it a little bit more strange as well Leonard collected mice Now of course, he killed these mice And he'd experiment with chemicals And he basically would leave the bodies in there to dissolve And do experiments on which chemicals would be the fastest Etc After leaving high school in 1964, Leonard also joined the US Marines. He served two tours as a radar electronics technician. Sounds fucking smart, doesn't it? Yeah. Now, during this time, Leonard were actually diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder, which is basically a personality disorder that prevents you from carrying out or forming any sort of relationships with anybody and basically to live a very much lone wolf sort of life right in 1971 leonard had what they described as a delusional breakdown he then was medically discharged from marines and he went back to california he then enrolled in college but just like charles he only lasted a term and then he dropped out leonard got briefly married in 1975 it really didn't last long at all. his wife soon discovered that he were making amateur porn but it weren't your normal sort of stuff it were quite extreme bondage really stuff that she just wasn't down with and she left him and
1: he's been doing this shit for years
0: yeah so a few years later Leonard met and married another lady called Caroline who actually shared had a shared interest in this bondage and porn and she actually was a star in quite a few of the you know movies that he made That's what love's all about isn't it now they spent eight years living together on a ranch and she would just feed into leonard's dark fantasies until eventually it weren't enough so by 1983 he started seeking out and acting on some really sadistic fantasies um, he'd put ads out for women and people actually responded to these ads yeah they
1: um, suppose not the women... that I fucking know
0: <laughs> have you responded to many <laughs> to be fair there were no internet then were there yeah. so it all had to be put out by chuffing little cards in your shop windows and stuff didn't it so whether this next part is driven by his personality disorder or whether it was I've read that it was just a sort of general paranoia that most Americans were feeling during this period in time, and there was this big thing um, about a nuclear holocaust going to happen. Right. Really strange, I know. Um, so Leonard became obsessed with preparing yeah. for this siege to, to take place, which included an underground bunker. Now, unlucky for Leonard, on this ranch that he lived at, he basically was told, you can't build that here. Absolutely not. We're destroying it, so they filled it in. But then his wife, her family had a secluded cabin that nobody lived in, and they decided that Leonard and Caroline could rent it off them. Yeah. So that's where they went. Now this cabin, completely out of way in middle of woods, so far away from any you know everywhere. Sort just just a really secluded life. Turning which...
1: it into a fucking sex cabin
0: well of course he soon got to work and instead of building a underground bunker he built this outhouse which he referred to as his dungeon and of course that's he decided to use it to act upon all these fantasies and these people that would respond to ads this is where he'd take them now not long after he finished this dungeon he decided to invite his brother donald and his friend, who was his best man at his wedding, actually, Charles Gunner, over to basically show off this dungeon to hang out at cabin, catch up. Now it's unclear whether they went into that dungeon willingly or not, but he got them in.
1: One of his neighbors are arguing over it back.
0: Wow, <laughs> um, that that threw me off. So it's not it's not clear whether they went in there willingly or not, but he got them in there, and he actually killed them.
1: What? His mate and his brother?
0: Yeah. His brother Donald and his best friend, who oh. was his best man. Um, Charles Gunnar. it were called. He'd emptied all the pockets, took all their ID, um, credit cards, stuff like that. And he actually started using Gunner's ID as his own. Okay? Now, obviously things are not going to get any better. And in 1981, he posted an ad in a magazine looking for a submissive partner. But instead of gaining a partner, he basically gained an accomplice. And that's when his old friend comes back into it, Charles Ng. Yeah. Now, under the terms of his plea deal, Charles Ng was paroled and discharged from the Marines. That's when he's obviously come out, he's seen this ad, he's responded. Now, it's not not clear whether he actually invited Charles over there to become a victim and he had all intentions of killing him or not yeah but it actually transpired that Leonard saw a lot of himself in him and even though he were 15 years older than him he thought this person's gonna be great
1: well this dude's killed his own brother so
0: <laughs> I'm not sure he's gonna give too much of a fuck about someone he met
1: no at college fox. no fox.
0: none at all this just resulted in a massive break that lasted nearly two years I'll tell you a little bit about some victims so among the first of their shared victims, were two neighbouring families the first was Lonnie Bond his girlfriend Brenda and their young son Lonnie Jr as well as their friend Robin Stapley Brenda already didn't trust Leonard at all it is said that she kind of knew he were always a bit shifty and up to no good and she actually said that she saw him burying somebody in the woods but instead of ringing it place... so why don't you fucking phone police then? <laughs> no they phoned Robin the friend who came over and decided to move in for a little bit for some extra protection. Didn't work out well for them, let me tell you. So, in May 1985, all four of them went missing. Leonard and Charles decided to take them, hold them captive, tied them all up, tied Brenda to a chair. Now, whilst these crimes were taking place...
1: In this dungeon.
0: In this dungeon, don't forget... Leonard loves his porn so he thinks he's this big shot filmmaker producer whatever and he decides to film the whole thing. Cost us. Now he actually films pretty much every victim that they get so there's a lot of a lot of tapes. Now in the video Brenda's obviously begging and pleading for her life her husband's pleading with him but they just didn't give a fuck. They strip her naked both repeatedly assault her in front of her husband a son and their friend yeah in the tape which you can see they are online leonard actually says "Well, if you go along with us we'll be as nice as we can to you within the limits of keeping you prisoner if you don't go along with us we'll probably tie you down rape you shoot you then bury you now unfortunately they killed them all starting with the men first then they kept her to torture her um But eventually, they were all killed. Now, the second family were Harvey and Deborah Dubbs and their young son, Sean. They became the next shared victims. And according to court records... How the fuck
1: did he get them in this dungeon?
0: Nobody knows. Just come and have a look at my sex dungeon, please. Nobody knows how he got them in there. Obviously, they're dead. So, so yeah, so this family becomes their second family. And again, he killed the men and the child, keeping her alive to torture and rape her before killing her as well now it's said in court either got rid of the men straight away and let the abuse the woman then shot her or they would leave them to suffer and die of their injuries so time scales every victim is different yeah now these two really weren't fussy when it came to victims they never actually left the little town to go find them pretty much anyone would do and majority of their victims were known to them in some way or another. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's probably how he managed to get them back.
1: Yeah. To his... Well, like you said, there were two neighbouring families. Yeah. So they knew him.
0: Yeah. Um, now, like I said, every victim were filmed or every that they know about were filmed. Charles mainly took part in the torture. He absolutely got his rocks off on the fear that he created just hearing and beg when it actually all came crashing down he showed zero remorse whatsoever now over time friends and family of these two families that have been killed obviously came knocking and asking questions have you seen them but the pair just saw anybody that came across them as victims of opportunity and ultimately killed them too didn't matter if it were a man didn't matter if it were a woman it were a bonus if it were a woman because they got to torture and rape her and do horrific things to her. Now between 1983 and 1985, Charles and Leonard kidnapped, tortured and killed. This is such a vague fucking number. But between 8 and 25 people. After killing them, it were Leonard that would dismember them. He'd crush the bones, but first he'd place the victims in chemicals to dissolve
1: like he used to do with his pet mice yep
0: yeah. and then he'd take them out and crush the bones The woods spread any uh, remains that were left over around the cabin and in- into the woods and stuff now a young girl at 18 called kathleen allen um she was a student that worked part-time at a supermarket close by she actually met charles and leonard through a man called mike carroll mike were very much like charles and leonard He was just a vile piece of shit. He actually picked Kathleen to sort of be their next victim, knowing what he was taking. Her too. Her to, yeah. Um, Unfortunately for himself, he also became a victim and what killed. Soz, not Soz. Soz,
1: you're right, dickhead. Exactly.
0: Now, Randy Jacobson was a 34-year-old male who placed an ad in the newspaper because he was trying to sell his van. Leonard actually responded, said he wanted to buy said van and in 1985, he just went missing, like the rest of them. So, nearly two years into this spree, none of these two gentlemen had sort of got the attention at place. There weren't even a suspect. There weren't ever considered. But you remember how Charles liked to steal? Mm-hmm. It were always going to come back and bite him on ass, And it were going to bring it all to a massive fucking end. So, in June of 1985, sticky fingers, Charles decides he wanted to go steal a vice grip from a local shop now shop manager caught him and she phoned the police he panics he calls leonard who tells him not to worry i've got some money i'll come over and just pay for it and that'll be end of it but when he got there the police were already there and they instantly got a really strange vibe from leonard the he, he was just acting dodgy acting suspicious enough so that they asked him have you got any id and we're gonna search your car sort yeah. of thing now he hands over some id and it actually it's got no fucking resemblance to him whatsoever it's not his ID. not at all he <laughs> he turns out he's actually using his best friend's id who we cut who we killed um obviously when the police run it down they realize that this man's been reported missing for for months so why the fuck have you got his id Again they do search the car They find a gun with an illegal silencer So they obviously arrest him They also find that the number plates of the car Is also registered to another man That had also been reported missing So of course they arrest him And they go and search the cabin Where they find multiple cars Registered to lots of different missing people They find over 40 pounds Of crushed human bones
1: Fucking hell.
0: A hand drawn Treasure map of the cabin with little x's marked on it yeah now in these spots that they dig up they find two five gallon drums the first one is filled with stolen ids bank cards personal belongings
1: souvenirs Yeah,
0: and the second was filled with pages and pages Leonard's personal diary He detailed his intentions when building this dungeon Excuse me, details of the murders, assaults Everything As well as every single videotape Although they actually found the remains of an estimated 25 victims Only 12 were able to be positively identified Yeah Now it appears that Mr Lake had prepared for this day to come because what the sneaky little bugger did he decided to sew cyanide pills into the lining of his clothes and when he was arrested and when he was put in custody he swallowed all the pills basically killing himself
1: sneaky bastard
0: yep Um, it took four days but yeah it killed him and meaning no charges whatever brought against him Yeah. now Charles weren't so prepared and while police were busy arresting Lake, he decided to do one again. And he actually went to one of his sisters in Canada and he managed to basically stay undetected for quite a while. But Charles, being the thief he is, decided that he were going to go and shoplift. So, best thing is, he was shoplifting a can of salmon. <laughs> Nothing even worth fucking robbing. Um, and it is said that he weren't short of money, he just liked to steal. Yep. So, he were caught... On 6th of July 1985, now as the police came, he actually fired shots at the shop assistant that had rang the police, shooting one of them, but they survived. He then was arrested and charged with shoplifting and being in possession of a legal firearm and also the shooting. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison. Obviously, he served this sentence in Canada, but he were held because he needed to be extradited back to California. Yeah. He needed to face trial for everything that he'd done with Leonard. So he actually was charged for 11 counts of murder. Now, you remember Leonard's wife, whose family actually owned the cabin? Yeah. She completely insisted that she had nothing to do with it. She didn't know what was going off. And she wanted a plea deal that she would basically give him anything that they needed in exchange for immunity. So she agreed to testify against Charles once that deal was signed and the ink was fucking dry, that woman sang like a canary. <laughs> basically, giving him. In fact, she was she was that prepared and knew that much that Charles's lawyer sat there in court and couldn't even cross-examine her. He basically had his head in his hands because there was no way he was ever gonna unpick everything that she just sat and and told everybody. Yeah. Um, so he, he just went no questions next <laughs> um, so despite all this evidence despite him being in the tapes everything that they had on him Charles actually insisted that he were innocent and he said that he were a victim of Leonard and he basically saw him as a bit of a father figure and he wanted to please him and he wanted to make Leonard him proud
1: manipulated him.
0: Yeah. now jury didn't fucking buy it at all as soon as they saw the tapes the stories that you know he was actively involved, they didn't buy it at all. And in nineteen ninety nine, Charles Ing was found guilty and sentenced to death by the lethal injection, and he still remains on death row to this day.
1: Mm.
0: Now, something that I found interesting: the prosecution of Charles cost the state of California roughly twenty million dollars, and it is recorded as one of the most expensive trials in history. Why? I think because of him getting him being able to escape the search for him, the money that would have gone into und you know digging up this cabin, just, it just says that that's how yeah. it goes down as one of the most expensive trials in history.
1: Mm. So
0: that's my case of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng.
1: And um, what did you think about that while you were researching it? it
0: shocked me, but I've watched the tapes. Mm. So what for anyone <coughs> wants to, if you have a quick Google, not all of them are on there. But there are a few. And it gives you an idea of just what this dungeon will like.
1: And it out yet again, something progresses and progresses and yeah. progresses. It
0: always starts with something little. It showed signs right from the beginning with his mice, didn't it? Yeah. So there so, we go.
1: So my case this week is the case of Shandashera. 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 Shandashera were born. June 6th, 1979, in Pineville, Kentucky. Her parents were Stephen and Jacqueline. Jacqueline. They were divorced, and they described Shanda as bubbly, fun, outgoing, smart. She was popular, she was a cheerleader. In June 1991, Shanda and her mum moved to Albany, Indiana, and she attended Hazelwood Middle School. At this time, she's 12 years old. Early in that school year, one of her friends convinced Shanda to dump her boyfriend for her. Okay. You know, like he used to do in school. Right. <laughs> and Shanda did it and it turned into a bit of a a bit of a fight. And this boyfriend, this lad, he had a co- he had a cousin called Amanda Heverin. And Amanda Heverin and Shanda Shera got into a bit of a fist fight. Right,
0: okay. Over over dumping a boyfriend. Yeah. In high school. Yeah. I remember them days. Yeah, it makes sense doesn't
1: it? <laughs> um, Shanda and Amanda, they ended up having like a week's detention together. And in this time, they resolved this issue. Okay. Got close as friends, and it said that they actually started falling for each other. What well, it
0: must be like to be young.
1: Shanda's mum was a bit unsettled. With this relationship, because I believe Amanda was fifteen or sixteen, right. Whereas Shanta was twelve years old.
0: Yeah, we've but, been there, Philip. Like...
1: Um, there's obviously a bit of an age gap. Shanda's grades were slipping, and we're talking about the nineties. She's gay.
0: It's a big thing in it. Yeah,
1: um, Shanda's mum actually found some love letters between Amanda and Shanda that they sent to each other, and our bat neighbours still shouting and screaming,
0: still arguing. <laughs>
1: Anyone I I think we lived in a really
0: rough fucking area?
1: October 1991, there were a school dance, and on comes to this case is a girl called Melinda Lovelace. At this school dance, they ended up having an argument and a fight because Melinda is an ex girlfriend of Amanda. Right. So she's a jealous ex.
0: This is getting a very tangled triangle,
1: Philip. So. She obviously doesn't like Shanda. Shanda's mum actually pulls her out of that school end of November and enrols her in a, a Catholic school. So despite Shanda no longer being in the same school, Melinda's jealousy of Shanda and Amanda's relationship Carried on. continues to fester. And a few months later, something happens.
0: Okay. <laughs> I want to know what.
1: There's four girls included in this and they nicknamed them the original Mean Girls. Yep. So first you've got Melinda Lovelace, who's the ex of Amanda. She's 16, uh youngest of three girls. Her father were a war veteran and also her father was a dirty bastard. He violently raped his wife in front of his daughter, uh, loaned his wife out to other men.
0: So this is shitty behaviour that she's been around, in her He'd
1: wear his wife and his daughter's underwear. He'd sniff it in front of people. Emotional and verbal abuse. Apparently, Melinda shared his bed up until she was fourteen. Wow. When the parents got divorced, he um, were later charged with eleven counts of child sex abuse. So the second girl is Lori Tackett. She's seventeen. She comes from a strict Christian household. Uh, she were abused by both parents. She used to self harm. Um, she were interested in paranormal activity, uh, vampirism, she pretended to be possessed. Okay. Um, she were actually admitted to a psych ward for borderline personality disorder. And in September 91, she dropped out of school. And in October 91, Laurie met Melinda. So that's how they know each other. The two other girls, uh, there's not so much on them. Hope Rippy, who was 15, she were friends with Laurie. Her parents didn't like Laurie. And the the final girl, Tony Lawrence, she was 15. She was just friends with Hope. She didn't know Laurie or Melinda. Yeah. Right, so we come to the day. On the evening of the 10th of June, 1992, Laurie, Hope and Tony get into Laurie's car, planning to go to some sort of uh, gig, some sort of live gig. Mm -hmm. This would be the first time that Tony would meet Laurie. Yeah. Because she she didn't know Laurie, she didn't know Melinda. Um... Laurie said to Hope, did you tell her yet? To which Hope said, tell her what? And Laurie said, we're going to kill a girl tonight. Tony didn't know what to think. She just thought, oh, this is, she's just trying shit.
0: Right.
1: Laurie, before she went to this gig, she drove to New Albany to pick up Melinda Loveless. Hope obviously didn't know Melinda very well and Tony had never met her. Melinda was apparently beautiful, glamorous, and she was carrying a large kitchen knife with her. She got into the car and told Hope and Tony how she wanted to scare this girl, Shanda, because she was trying to be like her and she'd nicked her girlfriend.
0: Jealous is such an ugly
1: trait. So the four girls arrive at eight o'clock at Shanda's house and Melinda hid in the car under a blanket. She knew that if Shanda saw her, she'd get scared and she wouldn't come out. So Hope and Tony knock on Shanda's door. Just
0: so much preparation's gone into it already tree planning, the know that she's not going to come out if she sees her. Go on.
1: Hope and Tony knock on Shanda's door and say that Amanda wants to see her. Mm-hmm. And that they're going to take her to her, that she's at this gig or whatever. Yep. Shanda's never seen Hope or Tony before. But apparently her dad will like, you're not fucking going anywhere. So she says to these girls, come back at midnight and I'll sneak out. Yep. Hope and Tony get back in car, they go to this gig. And around midnight, they drive back to Shanda's house and old not Melinda says how she's excited to kill Shanda but she just wants to scare her right so Tony apparently were getting a bit anxious
0: why have this, none of them left like
1: this isn't right she refused to go to the door with Hope this time to get Shanda in the car so Hope goes to the door gets Shanda in the car and as she gets in the car Melinda jumps up behind Shanda grabs her hair, and puts a knife to her throat. So Shanda's screaming and saying, please don't fucking hurt me. And Melinda says, shut up, bitch. And she starts asking questions about Shanda's relationship with her ex-girlfriend, Amanda. Yeah. So then these girls decide decide to drive to a place called The Witcher's Castle. I think it was like a teenage, I don't know, where they just nicknamed it Witcher's Castle, where it had scary stories and shit.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. They tied Shanda up. Uh, Laurie scared Shanda by telling her how this place were full of dead people and she would be joining them.
0: Such nice girls.
1: Apparently, Laurie lit a t-shirt with a smiley face on it and taught Shanda saying that she would be the the one soon burning. So then they leave Witcher's Castle and they go looking for a gas station. They They cover Shanda up in the back with a blanket and... They end up in some woods not far from Laurie's house and here is where torture begins. Laurie and Melinda kick and punch Shanda and they try to cut her throat with the knife that Melinda has but it's too blunt. So they use it to stab a chest in her abdomen, Hope and Tony stayed in the car. So uh, the
0: little girls trying to play in a fucking grown-up world.
1: Yeah. Melinda and Laurie strangled Shanda with a rope until she passed out and then they put Shanda in the trunk of the car and drove back to Laurie's house. At this time they think that Shanda's dead. When Laurie realises that Shanda's making a noise she gets back out of the car and stabs her in the boot of the car until she's quiet again. Why not? So whenever Shanda made a noise she go around the trunk and stab her again. Also they stole Shanda's rings They cut her hair off. They stripped her naked. They anally penetrated her. What? With with a tire iron.
0: This ain't just one girl that's jealous of her because she stole a fucking girlfriend. Yeah. This is
1: vile. Um, Anally penetrated her with a tire iron. uh, Rubbed it in her face. So then apparently they drove back to Laurie's house and they dropped off Hope and Tony. Melinda and Laurie went driving on some nearby back roads with Shanda still in the trunk of the car. Yet again, stabbing her, beating her with a tyre iron. And then eventually, they return to Laurie's house and they pick up Hope and Tony again and drive back to woods. Laurie and Melinda wanted to show Hope and Tony what they had done to Shanda.
0: Why the fuck? Right, first thing... Why did them two not alert somebody as soon as they got out of that car and went back to her house? Second, I ain't fucking getting back in that car and getting even more involved in this. Yeah. What is wrong with people?
1: Uh, At one point, Hope sprayed Shanda with Windex and said, you're not looking so hot now, are you? Um, And then from there, they drove to a gas station. Tony bought a large bottle of pepsi to drink laurie grabbed it emptied it and began filling it with gasoline they drove north uh, a country road surrounded by fields laurie and hope wrapped shonda who was still alive in a blanket and carried her to the edge of the fields still in view from the road laurie poured the gas from the pepsi bottle on shonda and set her alive. Wow. then they left the scene with shonda's body burning and I don't know what they did, but they came back in some sort of time later.
0: So they've obviously returned to see
1: if she's dead
0: and if she's there.
1: And she wasn't, so they set her alight again. What? Yeah. Nice. Fu- no. So allegedly, them four girls the next morning went to eat at McDonald's and were laughing about how the sausage meat looked oh, like fuck off. burnt shanda. Um, So, all four girls went their separate ways. After dropping Tony and Hope off at their homes, Melinda got in touch with Amanda and told her Shanda was dead. Amanda didn't believe it and agreed to meet. Laurie and Melinda went to pick up Amanda and then returned to Melinda's house. Once inside, Melinda cried, telling Amanda what they'd done to Shanda. Amanda still didn't believe it but this changed when they showed her the trunk of Laurie's car. It was obviously soaked with blood, handprints, and it had one of those socks. Amanda was horrified and demanded demanded to be taken home. Mm-hmm. So you remember how I said that the girls went to McDonald's? Yeah. Around the time the girl were at McDonald's, Don and Ralph Foley, brothers, went out hunting. They were driving for about eight miles on a country road. They spotted a large, Dark-coloured object on the side of the road. As they got closer, one of the brothers thought it were a blow-up doll. They took a closer look to realise it were a burned body of a young woman. At around 12 o'clock, Der- Deputy Sheriff Randall Spray arrived, followed by Jefferson County Sheriff Buck Shipley, Detective Steve Henry and forensic expert Curtis Wells. The four men couldn't believe this fucking sight of this poor girl. Yeah. The girl's body had been burned beyond recognition and posed in a sexual position. Uh, Sergeant Curtis Wells was convinced she'd been sodomised. In this meantime, Steve, Shanda's father, woke up, noticed that Shanda was not in her bedroom, but didn't think anything of it. He assumed she was sleeping in the basement. When he realised she wasn't there, he began to worry. He called Shanda's friends first and they began searching for Shanda. Around 8.20 that night, p.m., Tony, one of the girls, and at the police station with the father. She burst in to tell Detective Steve Henry absolutely everything she told him about the plan to cut to the gig with Laurie and Hope. That they ended up going to pick up Melinda. She knew that the girl's name was Shanda, and she was twelve or thirteen. She didn't remind. She didn't remember exact timings, but she remembered the locations like the Witcher's Castle, yeah, the woods, the gas station. Tony did remember Shanda's address, so Henry found out if there were a missing report. A missing persons report had been filed at that address, and there had been one. Yeah,
0: because obviously... For 12-year-old I...
1: Shanda Shera. So on January 12, 1992, Laurie and Melinda were arrested. So we come to sentencing. All four girls were charged as adults... They each accepted plea bargains to avoid the death penalty. Laurie and Melinda were both sentenced to 60 years in an Indiana women's prison. Hope, she must have got 60 years because she actually had it reduced to 35 on an appeal in 2004. Tony pled guilty to one charge of criminal confinement and was sentenced to a maximum of 20 years. Tony was released on parole in 2000 after serving 8 years. Hope was released on parole in 2006, having served 14 years. On the 26th anniversary of Shanda's death, January 11th, 2018, Laurie was released on parole. Fuck off. And also, Melinda has been released September 5th, 2019.
0: (sighs) So all four- Are now out. Are out. Living the best fucking life. Yeah. Not not so much the other two,
1: but... Melinda and Laura.
0: Yeah. They should be fucking behind bars. Yeah.
1: 100%. A side note, Shonda's father, Steve, he were physically and mentally heartbroken. He found his only escape in drinking and died of alcohol abuse in 2005. He was 53 years old.
0: Poor man.
1: He drank himself to death with a broken heart.
0: Yeah, of course he did. Thing is, this isn't... Not that it makes it any easier. This isn't a random killing. This isn't. It's vindictive. It's planned out. Yeah. And it's all over some jealous, jealous little rivalry over somebody that you mine.
1: I've just shown Carl nice. a picture of our girls.
0: Just normal teenagers. Yep. Just normal teenage kids that ain't got. And what they did clue. to that
1: poor young girl. Yeah. Awful. So that's it.
0: Well. We're gonna go have a few drinks,
1: aren't we? And
0: yep. watch the England game at eight.
1: Come on, England.
0: I hope we have a good game. Our Yorkshire Perlow. Will it be starting, do you think? I hope so. Me too. I hope you all have a lovely two week. Lots of new and exciting things coming up for us lot over this end. So it's gonna be a busy one.
1: Like and share us. Please do Please
0: Keep, keep, keep Sending us names Because my list is ever so growing So thank you It's quite bad isn't it Because I have random people up at School Run Stopping me and giving me names And I'm like <laughs> you have to send it to me Um, And one of them went She went I didn't want to just inbox you Because I thought you were a bit strange like, Is it not a bit strange? Not at all No. Send them our way So So we'll see you in two. We will. See ya.
1: See ya.